Talk with Ben Tompkins. Hey, how you doing, everybody? This is Real Talk. I am Ben Tompkins. We are presented by Nobody Currently. These are the mixtape days. And boy, oh boy, do we got a great show for you today. A banger of a show today. Because today's episode, my guest, my guy, Eric Matthews, I talked at one of these episodes and one of these intros about the entrepreneur's epic, right? This is the entrepreneur's epic, the hero's journey. Because my dude, Eric Matthews, is a hustler, a visionary, a salesman, a media savant, a mentor to many, and he is the assistant director of media relations at the University of Hawaii. Eric and I first crossed paths when he was working for the local ESPN radio affiliate in Lexington, Kentucky. He was a young broadcaster, and I was a young college student trying to land an internship. And from that point on, Eric really took me under his wing. Not only did he coach me up and help me develop my own broadcasting skills and style, I got to see firsthand how to create a broadcast package, sell the sponsorships, build a team around it, and execute it. I cannot stress this enough. Anybody who sells $150,000 plus in local sports radio advertising is a fucking legend, and in just under two years, that's exactly what this man did. As time went on, a few things happened that left him feeling pretty jaded about the business, and we cover those in this episode, and then he was faced with an ultimatum, fall in line or hit the road, Jack. So that's exactly what he did. He said, screw a non-compete clause. He left broadcasting altogether. He relied on some connections that he had made at colleges and universities and some of the skills that he was building on the side, always a side hustler. He took an internship, and for three months, he lived out of his Chevy Trailblazer while working weekends and getting his start in media relations. Pretty soon, thanks to a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work, he eventually became the director of media relations at Kentucky State University, a D2 HBCU in Frankfort, Kentucky. As he continued to learn and grow in his new role, as fate would have it, and as he lays out how it all played out, he eventually landed his dream job scenario and moved to Hawaii, where he's been living for the last four years, working with the university. This episode is one that inspires me. It is exactly what I needed to hear right now. This is a dude that I have always looked up to and leaned on for advice at different points in my career. So to reconnect on this episode and hear his story of how things have worked out for him in such a brilliant and unique way is extremely encouraging. Mad respect for my guy Eric right here. We cover a lot in this one. So I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode half as much as we enjoyed playing it for you because we had a ball. And if you do, please drop a quick rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, and check back in with us next Wednesday because we're going to have another banger. I guarantee that. All right, my friends, that's it. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Eric Matthews. All right, I'm joined now by a mentor of mine, a friend, somebody that I've looked up to for a while, my guy, Eric Matthews. Eric, what's going on, man? Vinny, what's up, buddy? How's it going? Oh, living life, enjoying every day the best I can. So you're in Hawaii now, man. Yep, I just passed my four-year anniversary about uh, three or four days ago. Congratulations. 
I appreciate it. it is, uh, it's been an interesting ride to get to this point. So the fact that I've been here for four years is uh, pretty killer. I'm all for it. Well, because what's the statistic on people who move to Hawaii? Isn't it something like, like, it, like hardly anybody that moves there ends up staying, right? I mean, it's a short time period. Yeah, uh, Hawaii is not for everybody. They think when they first get out here, it's going to be just beaches and sunshine, which a good percentage of the time it is. But there are uh, other factors that kind of lay into it, and people don't last as long as they thought they would or could. So far, I have stood time, and I have adapted and and feel pretty good about my situation living out here. I don't know how long I'll live out here. If I'm here for the rest of my life, I'll be pretty stoked about it. But <laughs> who knows? But yeah, not everybody adjusts well to to move into the islands. Is it because of the distance or the isolation? Do people go stir crazy or what? It's a mixture of things. I learned early on that you have to change for Hawaii. Hawaii is going to change for you. And if you were used to having a big car, a nice house, and making so much money and Maybe you have a dog and a picket fence and whatnot. Like that doesn't fly here. It really boils down to you're not paying to live in a nice place. You're paying to live in Hawaii. Yeah. And people have a hard time understanding that. And another part of it too is just culture in general. The culture in Hawaii compared to living in Kentucky or North Carolina that I did for a little while or other places is you can move to you can move from Kentucky, North Carolina, and that general area, and you can still have some form of normalcy. Out here, when you first get here, it's kind of like a different country some days, and it's it can get hard to adjust to. And there's a lot of Asian influence on a lot of the things here. There's Samoan influence on a lot of things here in terms of living situations, food different just different things and a lot of people have a real hard time adjusting to that and on top of it cost of living is higher here than it is in any other of the 49 states i believe so it's it's a mixture of a lot of different things now you are the assistant director of media relations at the university of hawaii correct i am yes all right so that's what you're doing now we will start way before that. We'll lead up to how you got there, but we can't just start at the end, right? We got to start at the beginning. So I'm just, I'm thankful for your time, man. And um, I'm thankful for all the times that I've been able to call you up at different points. And I feel like there's been a handful of big employment opportunities or things like pivotal life moments that I've been able to call you up as it relates to sports media and you always kept it real with me, and I've always appreciated that. And my earliest days as an intern were with you at the ESPN radio affiliate in Lexington. And man, I just watched what you did there and what you were building. And I watched how you did it and the way that you went about it. And when I started to get into sports radio here in Louisville, I just would think about all those nights that we were in high school gyms and watching you go on all those sales presentations and thinking about the way that you built that and that was one of the most impactful and meaningful things that I could have ever had in my career so thank you for that thanks for being an OG you're rocking that Wu-Tang Clan throwing up the Woo baby so still OG over here so um yeah man it's good to connect and 
I want to go ahead and kick it to you and we'll start with where you grew up and how you grew up. So where I grew up and kind of beginning stuff. So I'm originally from Kentucky. I'm from a, a town called Winchester, which is right outside Lexington. And not a whole lot to really talk about in terms of, of growing up and childhood. When I had a great childhood, very supportive parents on me as I was growing up and as I became an adult. And I value living in Kentucky because it gave me a, a side of thinking that I don't know how I would, I don't know how it would be if I lived somewhere else um, in a lot of ways. But what I learned and what I saw in Kentucky and I grew up as I started to kind of turn into a, a free thinking adult, I kind of started realizing what I liked about Kentucky, what I didn't like about Kentucky. And I think it's everybody when they look at how they grew up and where they grew up and everything. And, but I was a pretty average kid, usually overweight and I played sports, was never very, very good at it. I kind of, I knew what I was doing, but I necessarily couldn't always do it. <laughs> and I fell in love with, with athletics at a, at a very early age and you know, grew up watching Michael Jordan, Ken Griffey Jr. And, and all those guys and admired them. And, and I just kind of fell in love with the idea of athletics and sports. And I kind of, I was probably one of those kids that was weird where I kind of knew a variation of what I wanted to do when I was a kid. And I knew I couldn't play, but I knew I wanted to be around it. So I kind of got into radio and stuff when I was 16. But anything before that, I say it was an average childhood, I think, growing up in Kentucky. I was a middle-class family. I was just myself and my parents. I was an only child. I mentioned earlier they were very supportive. They always have been. And that's kind of the gist of the very beginning in terms of like being a, a kid and being smart or being a good student or whatnot. Again, I was average. <laughs> I think the thing that I, I showed when I was a kid that I think still shows today is I never really backed down from stuff. I always kind of, I knew my limitations and I was pretty self-aware of things of what I could and couldn't do, but I think it was important. But outside of that, I was, I, everything was fairly ordinary, I, I believe, from what I've gathered over my 34 years of existence. You were never scared to speak up. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> So <laughs> there's no there's no denying that 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 has never changed. Uh, <laughs> if I'm asked, or even if I'm not asked, I will uh, I will speak said mind uh, whenever given the opportunity. Where did you go to high school? George Rogers Clark High School in Winchester. It was uh, the only school in the county, only school in the city, and uh, it was a pretty big school. I went there all four years and graduated in 2006. Okay. And you grew up in Lexington. You grew up in that area as well. Yeah, majority of it was in Winchester, which is like I said, it's about fifteen minutes outside of Lexington. But the culture of Fayette County and the culture of Lexington that that teetered over into Winchester. So yeah. And then, what did you do after you graduated high school? Where did you go to college? I applied to one school, and that was Western Kentucky. I had real no interest in anywhere else. Because they had a broadcasting school. And when I was 16, 
there was a new radio station that was doing the GRC football games and basketball games. And when I was 16, I went to him and said, I, I want to be involved. I don't know what I'm doing, but I want, I, mm. I like this. I, I want to see what it's about. And I eventually was like doing like, like radio for baseball. Like I had a Saturday morning talk show when I was a senior in high school, that little, that little station W Y A H was the, the call letters, the FM station. And so I, I had been doing that for a little while when I was in high school. So I applied to WKU because I wanted to go into broadcasting and journalism. And it was at the time still is one of the better schools in the country that always award winning. And I wanted to go there and kind of learn. So I applied there and I, I went there and I was there for five years, technically four into five. And I had a hell of a time in college. <laughs> I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself and I, I learned a lot. I grew up a lot as an individual and I did radio and television. I was in college and got my degree in it while I was also enjoying myself. And I worked at a Fox sports station while I was there. And I really started cutting my teeth in the broadcast industry early on and in through college. And were you always working through like, what was your first internship and how did you get involved with that station and how young were you when you did that? I was actually getting paid. I was working at the radio station. I wasn't interning. I just, I got paid. So basically what I boiled down to was even when I was 16, I was doing sales. And like, I was like, I have to get a sponsor to get on the air. Mm-hmm. So I got a sponsor. I did stuff like that. And like, it was like little like 200, $300 stuff, like, you know, whatever. And I was doing that. That's how I got air doing high school baseball. That's how I did that Saturday morning talk show and stuff. And, and I did that. And then when I went into college, I worked at the college station for like a year. Didn't like that a whole lot because it wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then I got an internship through the school at the Fox Sports affiliate. And this was this has always been the weird part. And I've never quite figured out because you've known me for quite a few years. And like you mentioned, like I, I stick out. I, I voice my opinions and my thoughts a lot. Yeah. But for some reason, like a professor at WKU didn't realize how young I was and that I was like a, like a sophomore, my first year sophomore. He signed off on the internships. Hey, I go right ahead. Didn't realize I wasn't a senior. And, <laughs> and, and so I started interning at this Fox Sports station, like at 19, like before that was reserved for someone that's like 22. It was radio and it was, like I said, it was an internship. I did it for six months. I worked for a guy named Norm Haney and Norm was awesome. And what's funny about it was when I got the interview to do for the internship, I, a buddy of mine was supposed to pick me up on campus, take me to our apartment. I was going to change. And I was going to go do my interview. I was going to look nice, mm-hmm. but something happened. And like he was running late and had to call somebody else to come get me. So they picked me up when I was wearing And that day on campus. I was wearing a Hawaii football Jersey. Because I was a big Hawaii football fan when I was in college. So I walked into my interview wearing a Colt Brennan Hawaii football jersey. And Norm, who is a diehard Ohio State fan, just looks at me and goes, are you wearing a Hawaii jersey? I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. He was like, well, you're hired. (laughs) So so I didn't have to do anything. He was like, like, well, if you're you're doing that, then there's there's something about you that's cool, man. So I'm like, hey, let's give this a shot. 
And so I, so I interned for him for six months and then he hired me on. And like when he hired me on, he said, Hey, have you ever done play by play? And I was like, yeah, I've done play by play. I've done football, basketball, and baseball. And he was like, do you want to do high school stuff here? I was like, sure. Why not? So for the next three years, I did, uh, I did talk shows and I did play by play for high school basketball and football in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And and I did that working for Norm while I was all the way through college. Wow. It's such a difficult thing to get on-air jobs. And a lot of times it is wrapped up in, hey, you got to sell this to get on the air. But here you are walking into the opportunity of a lifetime and people are assuming that you're older than you are. And you're like, hey, actually, I'm this young and this good. So what's up? Hire me. Well, I don't know if it was I was this good. So in a professional sense... I've always had confidence when I talk, like whenever I get going, like I may not know shit about shit, but <laughs> I will make you think I do. And it's, so it's what happened with that professor. It's what happened with Norm. I mean, a gr- eventually you figure it out. Like you're, you end up being, you know, solid or whatnot, but that's kind of how it was, was just kind of, I don't think people understand like, your personality and kind of how you how you put yourself out there. People are so reserved nowadays, it feels like. But when you put yourself out there and you speak with a confidence and you speak, not not being cocky, but just like, hey, I, I kind of have an understanding of what I'm doing here. Like, and like you ask questions, making sure you understand stuff. It just that that thing goes a long way. And that's what I was doing when I was 16. I like I walked in the door and I was like, hire me. I need something to do to stay out of trouble. <laughs> and that's what I did when I was in college. I mean, it's what I, it's what I did to get to this point where I'm at right now. And I, it's every step of the way. It's always been like walking the door, put your foot down and go, Hey, let's have a conversation. I want to be here. And that's kind of how it's always gone. That's so funny that I always say that it's funny how things come full circle in life and to see you sitting here on this couch with the Hawaii hat on working for Hawaii's media relations department and their athletics team. And what started this whole journey, one of the things was you meeting Norm and rocking the Colt Brennan Jersey. It's funny how it all works out, man. And I remember, so like Colt died in the last year. So like we had this big tribute for him and whatnot. And there was a, a student newspaper writer, that take a liking to me and it's like, Hey, how'd you end up getting here? Like, you know what, you know, do you know who Colt is? Like, do I Let me <laughs> tell you a story? And I told him the same story. I just told you, like I walked in wearing that and whatnot. And the day that we honored Colt at our football game, I had the Jersey with me. I still have it. Cause I was going to have him sign it for me. So the Jersey that I that I'm talking about is currently in my office at Hawaii. And I talked to my boss. I was like, hey, I still got this. Because he knew the story. And I was like, can I wear it on Colt Brennan Appreciation Day for the game? Like, rather than, like, wear, like, a college shirt or whatnot, can I wear the jersey? He's like, sure, go right ahead. (laughs) So the fact that I bought that jersey 15 years ago and got a job in sports radio because I was wearing that and I got to wear it to pay homage to him, and I like I got pictures in there. That, oh, dude! Like I like to this day, I'm still like, how the hell is that even real? It's like a goosebumps moment. It's just like better than fiction. I mean, you can't make this shit up. Yeah, and I I got to meet Colt. Like I think I was like year two in to my job, and I got to meet him. 
And, you know, Colt, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff there. But, like, in his core, he's a good dude. And I'm talking to him. I'm like, hey, bro, you're the reason I'm here. And he's like, what are you talking about? I've never met you before. And I, and I told him the story. And, like, it just made his day that I told him that. And, like, that, that he had that big of an impact on some dude sitting in Kentucky, like, 15, 16 years ago. Like, he, like, he couldn't believe it. And it's like, hey, man, power college sports, power college football, that shit goes around. Yeah, well, even now, I mean, just think about it. Normally, because I'm a college football junkie, you know this, and when I'm mm-hmm. sitting on the couch on a Saturday, Hawaii is always kicking off around midnight Eastern time, but the games are never televised. So how did you get involved? How did you see the team being in Kentucky? I mean, were they televising the games back then? So back then was when they were really good. And they were like, it was the year before they went to Sugar Bowl and played Georgia. So I, I was already involved in media when I was in college because I got with Norm and everything else. And I was doing all these different things. So during the day, I'm working on Saturdays during college football season. I was working WKU games and doing all that stuff. And so I didn't get to watch anything. So when I go home at night, Hawaii football would be on. And I'm like, hmm. well, I want to watch a game. And they were so fun, had so much personality, and it was just cool. And they were on TV that year probably six or seven times on ESPN or Fox or something. And I would just be up till three or four in the morning with my roommates just watching late-night Rainbow Warrior football because it was the only thing that was on, and I wanted to watch it. And from that, it just it stood into, a, it stood into like being a fan or just watching casually until like I became a huge fan of them. And lo and behold, everything kind of happened that way. That's how I got, that's how I became an Oregon football fan. Cause same thing, standing in the bars late at night and you're watching Pac 12 football. And when I was in college, it was Mariota and it was just, I mean, the teams were great. And West Coast football is so fun to watch. I mean, some of the best, honestly. Oh, dude. I mean, that's what it was. It was just that, that, that scoring 60 points and celebrations and all this stuff. I mean, just, just that stuff is so addicting and that's what it was for me. That's what it was for you. I mean, it's funny how, how just the way, how much things have changed in terms of like cable and satellite to while streaming. So you can watch anything now, you know, I mean, there's people that are diehard Newcastle fans. that will never go to a Newcastle game in their life that live in Delaware. (laughs) <laughs> and just because they can like they just the, because they can watch it to become a fan of it that's i mean i understand that completely it's how it happened to me it's how it happened to you yeah so let's stay here let's stay with when you're working in broadcasting you're in college you're about to graduate you've been working for this fox sports affiliate for three years which is so you're coming out of the door with more experience than certainly a lot of people who are coming out of college. But honestly, that on-air experience, you probably had more than people who had already been in entry-level sales associate jobs, trying to climb their way up the ladder. And what is it like when you graduate and you start thinking about what's next for you? When I was about ready to graduate, I was noticing some stuff about people that I was around that were also graduating, and they were scared shitless. I never really was. I was like... I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to what the next chapter is. As I knew I had some experience more than most did, and I figured I'd be okay. And 
the company that I worked for that Fox Sports uh, station was owned by offered me a sales job when I graduated and I turned them down. I was like, eh, I appreciate it, but I don't think that's a good move. I want to see what, it le- what else is out there. So when I graduated, I didn't have a job to go to when I graduated. And anybody that's, that's young listening to this podcast, it happens to everybody. Like if you have a job when you first graduate, <laughs> good for you. You're, <laughs> you're, about, you're about 5% of the usual student body that graduates. But I was a part of that 95%. I didn't really have a job to go to. I ended up going back to my hometown and I was working at a YMCA and which I, I had a job at the YMCA in Winchester time. I was 17. I had that job on and off from the time I was out 17 to about 26, 27. So I knew I had something because from the time I was 16 to now, I've never gone out a job longer than a couple of weeks. I've always had a gig of some kind. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had that. So I figured go back, work the job and send stuff out across the country and see what would happen. And I was doing that and I didn't get anything. Like I was getting no love and I was getting pretty frustrated with it. A couple of months go by and I'm, I'm technically still in school. I had to take an online course. I didn't have my degree yet. I was still doing a couple of things online to, to get through. And I co-called Again, I just walked in one day to Eastern Kentucky University, which is Richmond, Kentucky, which is about 30 minutes south of Lexington and about 15 minutes from Winchester. Mm-hmm. And the, the I forgot the guy's name. It wasn't Michael Clark. I can't remember the guy's name. But he, at the time, he told me, I like what you're doing. I wish I had an opportunity for you, but I don't have anything. It's like, I appreciate it. Let's stay in contact, blah, blah, blah. And... I went back and I was working the Y for a couple months and he randomly called me. It was around Christmas time. Their play-by-play guy for women's basketball fell off a ladder hanging Christmas decorations. And they needed a guy to come in and do play-by-play and go on the road. And I was like, sure. Sounds like a great idea. I'll do that. (laughs) So I did uh, women's division one basketball for like a half a year. And I felt like, okay, I'm back in. And I'm working my contacts. I was, I've always been real good at networking and talking to people and keeping those contacts going. And Randy Lee, who is the play-by-play guy at WKU, him and I always had a good relationship and he helped me get in contact with somebody at IMG, which it's a big corporation and they hold a good percentage of college contracts broadcasting wise. And they're stationed in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So I thought if I get on there, this big national conglomerate, I can eventually get in someplace and just buy my time and I'll be able to land a full-time gig at a school, which is what I want to do. I want to be a play-by-play guy. Mm-hmm. And I got a job with IMG and I picked up my life and I moved. And I, I went to Winston-Salem. I had a contract under the Sunbelt and Conference USA. And I was a on-air pre-game and post-game host, and I also board up, and I worked primarily with Marshall. And I had been there maybe maybe three, four weeks, and I hurt my back really bad. Hmm. Not working. It just, I guess in the process of moving, I hurt my back. I had an inflamed sciatic nerve. 
the worst pain I've ever felt to this day. <laughs> it was awful. I was still trying to work, but I was injured and hurting in a lot of pain for like four months. And like I couldn't sit for any long period of time. And at IMG, like when you're working there and you're doing a show host, you know, and you're trying to make some money, you're working from 6 a.m. to 2 a.m. Because mm-hmm. you're working East Coast games all the way through West Coast games, just trying to get on air, get as much experience as you possibly can. And I couldn't do it. And I was on painkillers. I never got addicted, but I was on them and needed them. And they affected my speech and they affected my way of thinking. Sometimes Mm -hmm. my performance was tanking. And eventually I remember there was a a young lady that I was seeing that was back in Kentucky. I went back to Kentucky for a, a, a buddy of mine passed away in October. I moved there in July I was going through issues. I, I hurt my back in August. We got to about early October. So about four or five games into the football season. I stopped on my way back to North Carolina. I stopped to see her where she was playing college basketball at. And I got a text message from, the, from my supervisor said, Hey, when you get back, I need to talk to you. And I came in like the next day and I went to his office and he fired me. And Damn. he's like, He's like, we're, we're taking you off this assignment. We're retaining your contract. So you're still technically employed by us, but we're taking you off your assignment. All of your guaranteed money is gone now. Damn. Yeah. And like, I, what are you going to do? Like, you're like, you just, you kind of roll the punches and. Well, what's I, going, th- hang on, hang on. What's going through your head when you've picked up your life, you've moved to Winston-Salem you're calling these games. You're probably pretty proud of yourself where you've been able to get to that level and your family's like rooting for you from the sidelines. You've got friends that you probably maybe you're keeping in touch with, but you know how we all keep tabs on people. Everybody's always interested in everybody's business. So probably feeling pretty cool. Like, yeah, I've moved to North Carolina and I'm calling games and I'm on air and that's still, even, even then it's still like a coveted thing to get that on air time, but you're doing these games and then things change and you're in this place that maybe is still unfamiliar and you're going, what the hell do I do now? Like, what was that period like? To answer that question, I'll explain this. When I was younger, my biggest fear was failure. Like I wanted to do something. I wanted to like make an impact in some way. And so like failure wasn't an option in my mind. Mm -hmm. So using that train of thought and to answer your question, I was failing. I, I was pretty upset about it, but like you take that, mix it in with, I'm still physically hurt. I can't get around without walking with a cane. And I'm like 24. And like, I'm in this condition. Like I'm going through this (laughs) mental thing of like failure and I'm also hurt. And so like, I just remember when that happened, because my buddy that passed away, him and I were close. And the girl that I went to go see on that trip where I got that text message, like I was like really into her. Mm-hmm. so I just was like, I got, I got to a point where I was like, I won't be here anymore. 
Like, this ain't working out. This sucks. And when that happened, something in my brain flipped. And I went into military mode. Every single day from that point forward was the exact same thing every day for the next four months. I didn't change it. Said, in order for this to, in order for me to get through this, I've got to mentally change my way of thinking, put my ego in check, pull through it, learn the most I can learn. Cause more than likely when the year is over, they're not going to have me back. So I've got to power through it. And I remember uh, I came back to Kentucky for Christmas and her and I went out and I remember telling her, I said, I wish they just fired me already. Just like completely end it. Tell me I don't have to come back. Because in my head, I'm like, I got to finish where I'm started. Until somebody tells me something different, I got to finish where I started. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't going to quit. But I was like, I was sitting there telling her, like, I wish they would just fire me. Get over with. And they didn't, which is probably worked out for the best. And I finished out my contract. I went back to North Carolina and I was there till March. And during all that, like there was a guy that was there, uh, Cabell Philpot. I think he's still at Wake Forest, but Cabell helped me a lot. He was, he was training me. I was working with him. I was trying to find my style, trying to find what I want to do and how I want to be presented on air. Cause I was getting better physically. I wasn't on the painkillers and stuff. And they actually offered me a renewal. They said, we want you to come back. We're going to assign you to Texas El Paso. And I had pretty much made up my mind that I didn't like it. I didn't like being a part of a corporation. I didn't like the atmosphere. I didn't like how everything kind of went down. And I was like, I'm going to do the, the best I can to learn and be better. And I'm going to get through this mentally. But I've, I've already like, I know what I'm going to try to do. Were you still running the board as a board operator when you weren't on air? So during like peak season, like all the tournaments going on, like the Maui Invitational and all that stuff, I was able to make ends meet. And mm-hmm. so I was working board off for all those other ones. So I was still making some money, but I had very little airtime. So I went from working for basically Marshall to, so I was on air in Kentucky, Virginia, and West Virginia to over the next four months when I would get on air and I started working for this, I was working for Duke, East Carolina, Troy, South Alabama. I was working for all these different schools. Just if they had an open slot, I took it. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up getting on air more than I would have with the Marshall gig in like 16 different states across the country. Oh, wow. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't on there permanently. I was filling in, but I was getting on. And right. I, was, I was figuring out how everything worked. And so, like, even though I was mad and, like, still kind of heartbroken over the entire situation, I was still learning the business. I was still learning how to do things. And by going to all these different states and all this other stuff on air, I was like, well, I mean, kind of figuring this stuff out as I go, which no one else could say they could do. But I was able to because of that situation. I wasn't making nearly as much money, but I was still able to pick up some experience. And you were still on air. Yes. Not as much as I wanted to be, but yes, I was still on air. Okay. So it, like you said, it worked out for the best. <laughs> it did in a lot of ways. And when, uh, when they offered me the contract renewal, I said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm good. I'm going to go back and figure some other things out. Which they were kind of surprised with my answer. 
And I didn't really care a whole lot for my supervisor. So like I, it, it was what it was. Yeah. So the last week I was there, I already made my decision. The last week I was there though, I'm looking for jobs in Kentucky to see if they do anything open. And the program director position was open at the ESPN station in Lexington, mm-hmm. which is owned by LM communications. Mm-hmm. So I applied for it. I was like, man, it doesn't hurt anything. Let's see what happens. And I'm driving back to Kentucky and I didn't bring my stuff back with me yet, though. I knew I had to go back. There's some other, I had some unfinished business in North Carolina. So I'm driving back and I get a call from them. Name was uh, Charlie Kendall. Charlie calls me and is like, hey, is this Eric Matthews? Like, yep, sure is. And he was like, hey, I'm looking at your resume. I'm the operations manager at LM Communications. I got your resume about your interest in our position with the ESPN station. Mm-hmm. Do you have a chance to like talk? He goes, I see you're living in North Carolina. I said, Charlie, I'm actually driving to Kentucky right now. So I can go see you tomorrow if you would like. He's like, I would love that. We need to talk. Like, all right, awesome. I'll be there. I'll meet you tomorrow and we'll be there. So I finish my drive. I get there. I'm like, well, hell, I mean, this may work out. I may get a job at an ESPN station. <laughs> Turns the and music up a little bit louder. <laughs> pretty much. And I go into the interview and I knew it as soon as I walked in. Cause like you, you mentioned earlier, like I already had some pretty killer experience and I wasn't that old yet. Right. I walk in, he takes one good look at me and he goes, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm 25. He was like, your resume does not make you look like you're 25. (laughs) And I go, well, I don't want to tell you, man. He's like, well, let me show you around. And he was explained to me the reason why he asked that question, the reason why, you know, everything kind of basically I didn't get the job. And it wasn't because anything I did. It was he thought I was more matured and more experienced than what I was in terms of like managerial and, and like and all this other stuff. And I wasn't yet. So he was hesitant to hire me for a director position because mm-hmm. he didn't know if I could handle it or not. He made the right move. L- looking at it now, he did make the right move. Because once everything kind of played out, I ended up landing it there. I kind of realized why he thought the way he thought. And I can get into that if you want me to. But but I, I, I went in and did the whole thing, and it didn't work out. And... I had the job at the YMCA that I knew that I could make some money and be able to survive for a while. So about two weeks after I interviewed, like he never called me back. And so I was like, well, fine. I'm just going to show up. (laughs) So I I walked in the door and I was like, is Charlie here? And they're like, oh yeah, sure. And they go and get him. He comes from the back of the office and he comes through and he sees me and he goes, Ben, it took 10 seconds. He looks at me and goes, oh, hey, uh, we fill the position. Uh, thanks for your interest. I really appreciate you coming in. And he turns his back on me. Mm. And I said, Charlie, can I keep in contact with you? He's like, yeah, sure. Do what you want. And goes back to what he was doing. And it was 10 mm. seconds. That was all he gave me. But at the time, I'm like, I, I'm like, I can't be offended by it. Like, 
just keep plugging away to see what happens. So that was probably, I left in March, interviewed in March. I'm working throughout the summer. So I, and I'm working at, at the pool at the YMCA, the summer job as a manager, whatnot. And we're coming upon high school season. And I remember him telling me he wanted to start doing high school football on the ESPN station, which I had a lot of experience in. And you had kept in contact with him? I was sending him emails, but he wasn't replying back to me, but I kept trying. <laughs> and I sent him an email at like the end of July. And I said, I remember you telling me this. Are you still interested? If you are, let me know. I'll be a bore up or whatever it is you need. And Charlie called me the next day and he was like, Hey, look, I'm getting your emails. Are you interested in a sales position? And I was like, sure. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm interested. And like, anything get my foot in the door. He's like, all right, I'm going to pass your name along to our sales manager. They're going to call you. Let's see what we can do. Cause he, he, he knew what I was trying to do. He knew I was just trying to get my foot in that door. And if mm-hmm. I got in, I could be able to make some noise. And so I interviewed for a sales job, which I had no experience in to an extent. The sales manager's name is Don Paul now. And Don was a very good manager of people. He knew how to help you. And he could tell that I had no experience. I was green as grass. And if I came in, I was going to be a huge project for him. But he was cool with that. In what way? With sales or? Yeah, and 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 sales. can we can we also just for everybody listening, so host and board op and play by play those are things that are pretty self evident. But what does a programming director do, and what was the experience gap that you were facing? Excuse me, I'm I'm smoking during this interview, so if I cough, I apologize. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> true OG um, over here. <laughs> Oh, I got, I got, I got, I'm, I got two waiting on me right here. So this conversation goes on. I got plenty. Um, but so the, the experience I was lacking was like managing people, like managing people, managing situations, how to like do like certain operational things, which I had some of it in terms of like the ins and outs of like our programming system, how to schedule shows, how to work commercials, how to do all that stuff, all the operational stuff. Mm-hmm. I knew a little bit of it, but I didn't have a whole lot. I didn't have a whole lot of managerial experience. I was, I was going to work with like sales staff and everything else. So to answer your question, that's what I was missing was I didn't have any of that. So when I got my foot in the door and I ended up getting the sales job, that's when stuff started to kind of happen. And these were sales that you were calling on local businesses just to sell spots on any any show? Or was this attached to a specific initiative or broadcast that they were trying to launch? When I first got hired, they wanted me to sell like packages to stations, like just commercials. You get on the station, commercials, like not sponsoring shows, not sponsoring anything, just commercial packages for advertising. Mm -hmm. And so I'm cold calling everybody. Like anybody I can think of, I'm just walking in the door, just trying to talk to a GM or trying to talk to someone about whatever's going on, trying to, you know, develop relationships. That's what I did for like the first probably four months I worked there was I just did that was it was nine to five, Monday through Friday, nothing on air, just doing sales. And I hated it. It wasn't for me, 
I did not like it even a little bit, but I knew I needed the experience because it could help me later on, which it, it really did later on. What didn't you like about it? I don't like talking about money. I've never been a big guy when it talks about money. And you would talk to these clients, you would talk to these owners and stuff, and you're telling them I can help you, which you can, but like you're like trying to figure out like a price point and all this other stuff. And if what they expect doesn't happen, then your relationship starts to tank and everything else. And it just, when money's involved in terms of a relationship of any kind, it's stressful. And I just didn't adapt well to that. I just didn't like talking that way as I felt like I wasn't trying to help them grow their business. Like I was like, you're telling them that you're trying to do, you're just trying to survive. And so I felt like I was lying to people a lot and it just, it just rubbed me the wrong way. I just didn't like doing that. So that was the big reason when I just didn't, I didn't like that feeling. I just, it didn't feel like it was genuinely me. And that was why I always struggled with it. Yeah. Cause even if you're asking one of these small business owners for just a couple hundred bucks a month, I mean, a lot of these small business owners are operating month-to-month budgets, so a couple hundred dollars doesn't sound like a whole lot, but it does make a big difference to a lot of these small businesses, and I think that's something I always struggle with, too, is just, I want to help you, and what I'm offering you is exposure. We're going to sell the shit out of your company, but I'm going to feel like shit if I promise you something and a couple months down the road, sales haven't increased for you guys and you're unhappy with things, then I'm going to feel like I lied to you. And that's tough when you're trying to build a career and a name for yourself. 100%. You hit the nail on the head. And that's what I always had an issue with. And there were some that I, I was really helping and felt good about. I just remember there was one client, I don't remember the guy's name, and I, I, I'm going to say this, but this is just this is real is he he got out of the, he was a lawyer he was going through a divorce he decided he wanted to open a pizza place called like life of pie or something and he called on us because he wanted to be involved with us and i took the call i went out to talked to him and i was working with him and whatnot but then i was told to bring in this other guy that that i worked with named chris cross and <laughs> Cross went on the went on a sales call with me and oversold this dude bad. But this guy listened to Chris for so many years, he trusted him. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like Chris was lying to him, but he, like he said, he was he was agreeing to money he did not have. And I knew he didn't have. It just it didn't work. And I remember I went back like a month or two later to collect. And the guy was so distraught. And this is the part that I, I hate saying this, but it wouldn't shock me. I, I, if the guy is still alive today, I'm surprised. Like when I saw that guy that day, I don't know how much he had left in him because mm-hmm. his business was failing. There was a guy that, that was coming to collect money from him that he didn't have, that he had a contract for 10 more months. And I just hated that shit. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't for me. Cross didn't bother him. He's seen it for 40 years. 
didn't matter to him whatsoever. But for me, I felt for the guy. And I was like, I don't want to keep having these conversations. Well, and also, Chris isn't walking in there on collection day with you to tell this yes. guy what's going on. It's all on you. Yes. And that, 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 I know that's part of life. That's a part of sales, but that's why I didn't like it. Was yeah. I just, I don't enjoy any of that. And I can't turn my brain off to it because I was sympathizing with the guy. I knew when he signed the deal, it wasn't a good idea, but mm-hmm. he got talked into it. And so I like, and I remember going back to my boss. I was like, going, yo, this isn't good. Like, we're killing this guy. I'm like, well, he's the one, he didn't have to sign it. Okay. All right. It is what it is, I guess. Was there a way to renegotiate that deal and maybe take less on the deal? Or was it they were going to hold his feet to the fire? And I don't even know what happens if somebody just refuses to pay. Do you send it to collections? I mean, are you just out that money? You send the collections if you like you really want to. And I don't I don't know what happened. The guy closed his doors a month later. Wow. Like he was over three months. And it was over. And Man. when the day that I saw him was I was I think he knew what was ready to happen. And mm-hmm. like a month later, it was gone. Like it the took all the signs down, and everything else. The business was done. So like and I knew that. Now, are we the was I the reason or were we the reason that it happened? No, but it was part of it. So had he committed a lot of money? He committed to a year deal that was, I think, almost twenty thousand dollars. Wow. 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 Which is a big difference from selling packages for a couple hundred bucks and then twenty thousand dollars. That's a hell of a sale, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) On paper. (laughs) On paper it does. (laughs) God, man. Okay, so that really shapes you and did that make you jaded at that point or was it a continuation of more instances of that happening so it wasn't just that it was a lot of it it just talk about money seeing these seeing this stuff going on it just it never it always rubbed me the wrong way and i got a shot in the arm and this was before you met me so I'm doing sales. When I was doing sales, I was hustling on the side and I was doing, uh, I was working at university of Cumberland's. I was a public address announcer for them. And Mm -hmm. I was also board offing at another station owned by a different group, two cities over at the same (laughs) time. And the GM that I was working for at the other station, him and I had like a really good relationship. Like we were buddies. And he went to like some convention where he ran to the GM that was of L communications that, you know, that I was working for, for ESPN. And he had said something, Oh, we share an employee. And then like, and the, the GM's name was Jim McFarlane, the one that uh, ESPN was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, Oh yeah, Eric Matthews. Da, 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 da. He's like, I didn't know Eric worked for you. So Jim came back and I, I didn't know, but met with my boss and met with Charlie, the operation manager, because Charlie was a big reason why I was there. Mm-hmm. And they said, did anybody else know that Eric was doing this for like four months? They're like, no. And apparently during that conversation, Don, the sales manager, like leans back in his chair and crosses his arms. And Jim asked him, like, what do you think, Don? He goes, well, I'm not surprised. Eric's a hustler. Uh-huh. And... 
And so when that when that happened, they came back to me and they said, hey, why are you doing this? And I'm like, well, I'm not on air here. I'm not really I'm learning to do sales, but I'm an on air guy and I need to make more money. And this is the way to make money. It's a way for me to get experience. It's a way for me to do this. And they said, well, what else are you doing? I said, well, I'm working as a DJ at a strip club. And, <laughs> I, and, I'm, and I'm doing play by I'm scheduled to play by play for a, for a D3 school in two weeks. And they're like, really? I was like, yeah. What do you sleep? Uh, I really don't I, I make money but somehow. And so they said, look, what do we need to do to make you happy? And for you to like relinquish some of these jobs. And I said, put me on air. Let's talk about high school. Let's get back to that conversation when Charlie first met me. Yeah. And so they agreed to it, to like have a conversation about it. But like a month later, that GM got fired. And I have been putting together this plan to do a Friday show for high school sports. Like a recap, like not doing any games, but recapping that night. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much got an agreement with that GM got let go. Like, well, that fell through. So they brought in a new GM. And when the new GM came in, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try something. I put together like a 10-page proposal of how we can do high school sports, how it could be sold, how it be programmed, how it would be successful, and what it could do in five years. No one told me to. I just did it. Mm-hmm. And the GM's name is Craig Olive. Craig was like, he wanted to meet with every employee. He wanted to know everybody. So when he was scheduled to meet with me, I walk in with that with that proposal in my hand. He is like, he goes, oh, I hear like, oh, you used to do some on air stuff, but you're doing sales now. You're doing a pretty good job. Blah blah. You know, like, tell me about yourself. And I was like, Craig, don't worry about that. I want you to read this. And I put. <laughs> I put the proposal down on his desk. I was like, I have an idea. I have a plan. He was like, what is this? And I started telling him kind of what it was, what my vision was. He was like, huh, give me two days. Let me look over this and we'll talk about it again. Like, All right, cool. So he, he looks over, he talks to Charlie about it. And Charlie is just like laughing his dick off. He thinks it's hilarious that I did that. I did it this way. (laughs) And Craig was like, he was like, how much money do you think you can sell? I was like, I don't know. What number can I pay myself and a staff? And they're like, if you can get to $8,000, we'll feel pretty good about that. I was like, okay. So the next two weeks, I went out and I found $10,000 and a sponsorship for myself and a play-by-play guy, a board op, with just those three to start doing high school football in central Kentucky. And I, like I said, I did in two weeks because I was motivated. I'm like, I, I, I'm talking to these clients. I now have control over their money, their interest. I know what I can promise them now. I know how I can get them to be successful. Yeah. So I was motivated and I got us on the air. I was the director. I was the the coordinator of everything. I was the lead play play guy. Like I was, I was doing all the sales. I was doing all the production for it. I did all of it. And I hired a board op and I hired my color commentator, Josh. And it started doing really well. 
And they said, do you think you could do basketball? I was like, yeah, what's that ahead of you? So it's, it's basketball in Kentucky. So I went out and sold that. And when it was all said and done between basketball and football, I sold $40,000 of sponsorship. Damn. And were you on commission or were you taking a salary or how was that split going? I was on salary, but I could get commission once I got to a certain point. The problem was I was having a hard time getting that price point per month. Mm. So in order for me to get commission, I had to be pulling in $20,000 a month for me to get commission. That is what happened at that stage. I mean, that's a, just for people to understand the money that's in sports radio, it's there. And especially in Kentucky, like a lot of credit to you for having the foresight to look at Kentucky and go, what is really important here? It's, high school sports and it's college sports if you're in that market so you've got the lexington thing you've got uk there things are heating up with cal but high school football and and especially high school basketball really really sell in high school sports there's a lot of people that are tuning in but even man twenty thousand dollars a month that's a shit ton of money in local radio it is a shit ton of money and like i was proud that i made forty thousand dollars in my first year of doing high school football and basketball. Cause like when the, I had all the numbers broken down, like for us to be operational for basketball and for football to pay that staff and to do everything, it costs us $12,000 to do from August to the end of March to pay people to staff it. So that means yes, the math checks out $28,000 goes back to the company. None of it, went to me because everything was spread out of $40,000 over that seven, eight month span. So I'm not making my $20,000 a month price point. So I'm not making shit. Yeah. Like, and I understood it. I didn't like it, but I was like, it's the game. It is what it is. Like you roll with it. I, I'm, I want to be on air. Mm-hmm. I, this is how I do it. And so that's what we did. And if you have another question, go right ahead and ask it. But I, I'm, the second year is when things really get interesting. Well, at what point did you start to fill the interns? Because I got matched up with you. It's so funny that we connected when we did because I similarly walked straight in, looked and I, I was like, how do I get on? I, wanted, I don't even think I was trying to get on air at that point. I was just looking for internships and mentors. And I walked down because... LM Communications, the old station, I'm not sure if it's still where it used to be, but it was, I mean, a skip away from UK's campus. I walk down there and I go, hey, I am a student. I am a junior. I am looking for an internship. I will do anything just to get a foot in the door. And I can't remember who it was that I initially met with, but they said, you need to meet Eric Matthews and you need to talk to Eric. And then that's when we connected and it was right at the beginning. You had already sold this stuff and you had put Josh in. He was doing the color commentary. Jake, I think was the programming director at the time and he was running the board. And on Friday nights, I was the game night hoorah intern, which is the awesome name that you had created for this entire package. And it was me and Lindsey Goff. And then we were taking turns 
just providing general intern work, doing whatever we needed to do. But that was awesome because I got access to the Fishbowl studio and I could start getting some on-air reps. And we spent some time together in the studio and you showed me some things. I'll never forget. You're like, the very first time I ever did something, <laughs> you listen to it and I'm thinking, all right, this is awesome. you know. And you go, you sound angry. and i think i was at that point because i just had so much stuff figured out but the personality it just comes right through on the microphones or the camera and i think i was angry there was a lot of shit that i was trying to figure out at that point but you were just so willing to take me under your wing and i got to learn how you went about creating this broadcast from scratch. I mean, building this thing from scratch, how you sold it. And matter of fact, I still have the PowerPoint presentations of the Game Night Hoorah sales pitches and reference those <laughs> later. Like, I kept that shit. Like, it yeah. it was that impactful to me. And so, Lindsay and I, and then Kyle O'Daniel, who I'm still friends with. Uh, no went shit, to his, really? Yeah, went to his wedding. Yeah, still, still good friends with Kyle. And um, he was working i think more under don at that point he had a connection to don and was learning some sales stuff but i mean those connections that i made working and interning with you later set me up to when i was a senior at uk it was just through the student radio station but i grabbed kyle and he came in on sunday mornings and would wake up and run the board and myself and a couple of the students of a team that i assembled we were hosting our own show on the weekends which again for a college student to be on air it's really really tough and it's just a small student radio station but those on air reps are so invaluable they're so difficult to get and i just thought you know what like the weekend sports thing, that's what you were doing. Like, in addition to the game night hoorah stuff, you guys were waking up in the mornings and you had either a Saturday or Sunday show as well. So I just, I can't ever thank you enough for what I got to learn underneath you and just watching you build this shit, literally put it on your back and turn nothing into something was fucking awesome. Well, I appreciate those kind words. I really do. And that's why you and I are still in contact to this day. I've always been one of those because Norm did that for me. When I talked about Norm earlier, he did that for me. And I was like, mm-hmm. pay it forward. Do the exact same things. I'm still in contact with Lindsay to this day and checking on her whenever I can. And it's multiplied over the years. I've had more student interns and stuff and whatnot. Sure. But yeah, you and Lindsay and Kyle were kind of the first three that I really worked with a lot and trusted mm-hmm. and everything else. But when you came along was year two. So I had built it after a first successful year. So after a year, I was doing Game Night Hoorah. I was doing a weekend talk show with Jake and Josh for a little while. Mm -hmm. And I was also doing the pre and post game show for UK uh, football. And I was the board op for basketball. And we went into year two. And I took that 40,000 and I tripled it. And I brought in $120,000 on Game Night Hoorah, because what I was doing, I was packaging Game Night Hoorah, my weekend talk show, and the UK show all together mm-hmm. so that I could keep all three afloat. But you took that $120,000 and you spread that out over 12 months, I'm still not hitting my price point. 
So again, uh, I brought in I brought in that much money, and I didn't see a single dime from it in terms of commission. Now right. I was able to pay myself a on air fee for hoorah. I was able to do that, and I was able to pay Josh. I was able to pay you know Neil and other people that Kim and everybody else. Yeah. And but like you know, I brought in that much money. So when you came in the door. That's when we started the, the intern program. Like, this is building. This is going the way I want it to. This is because I, I had it all planned out. I had a five-year plan ready to go. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember when you walked in the door. I want to say you walked in the door during the summer, but I can't remember exactly. So I don't, I don't know if this happened before or after you walked in. But going into year two, I'm riding momentum. I'm feeling good. The sales are done. Everything is done done and we're going into the first week of august and i'm set up to do the uk talk show for football and they want to partner me with chris cross i saw no benefit in that i didn't like the guy i want nothing to do with him like do not do not put that stench on me i'll work with anybody ben i will but when i know that there's a big character flaw like no, I don't want to. You would become jaded that experience walking in and having to collect with that business owner. That had pretty much tarnished that completely, huh? Yes. And then this story is what tarnished everything else. Was I knew what I was doing. I knew how much money I was bringing in. I knew how much profit I was bringing in. I knew where it was leading to. So I thought I had a little bit of credibility. Mm-hmm. Well, when they want to partner with Chris, I'm like, no. I'm not doing it. So they bring me in to meet with the owner and the GM, which the GM and I, Craig, were cool. Craig backed me. Mm-hmm. But the owner, I, you know, I don't give a shit if I use names, Lynn Martin. Lynn wanted to meet with me. And I had respect for Lynn. I didn't agree with some of the things, but I had I respect for him. He brought me into the meeting and he's like, what's this issue? Why don't you want to work with Chris? And I told him, like, you know, I just, I just don't think it's going to benefit me. You know, I'll work with anybody else, but I just don't think that's a good idea to have him and I work together. And he basically gave me an ultimatum. Even though I've done all this stuff, even though I was writing and doing really well, he told me, you got two choices. Either one, you do what I tell you to do. You work with Chris and you learn from Chris and he helps you sell this stuff and you keep getting better, at least in his mind. Or I don't think we have a spot for you anymore. God. That is crazy because, one, you didn't need Chris to do any of that stuff. And two, money is the thing that talks. At the end of the day, it's what you've sold. So with the 120 plus the 40 from year one, you're probably somewhere around that $200,000 threshold in two years, which is fucking nuts. And they're telling you, we're going to pair you with this guy and was it just that you didn't mesh well? You just didn't have on-air chemistry or you just couldn't stand to be in the room with the guy? But it, you can answer that if you want. But you're sitting there on the other end of this conversation having sold almost $200,000 worth of product and commercials and they're telling you, here's the way it is. If you don't like it, we're going to take your fucking baby and you can eat shit. To answer your original question, I didn't like Chris as a person. I saw no benefit in it. I didn't want that stench on me. So yeah. to answer that question, 
it's Lynn's company. He can do what he wants. He -hmm. has no loyalty to me or really anybody unless he wants to. And I think in his mind, he was trying to, he was going to convince me to do what he thought would be best for me in my career, even though I disagreed with him. He can do what he wants. It's his company. That's perfectly a okay. But what ended up happening was it made me jaded was when he told me that I immediately shut down. I was like, all right, you're not going to give me a choice. I'm 26 and then I can do, I'll have the financial capability. I have the non-compete tied to me and then I can do, I got to roll with it. Now, luckily everybody knew what was going on and the biggest sponsor, what nothing to do with Chris as well. So it Mm. worked out. And they partied yeah. with Matthew Lawrence, which that was a godsend and a half. Thank God that happened. Love that guy. But oh, me too. Still to this day. Yeah. And I talked to him once a month. I, Matthew and I are still close. But they partnered with Matthew. But I, you use the word. I'm jaded. I'm like, nah. I can bust my ass and do all these different things, but I drop a dime. No matter how loyal I am, no matter how good I think I am, no matter what I do, that could happen at any point. Even though that's his decision, in my mind, not cool. So I started saving money. I didn't know what was going to happen. I started saving. And I became frugal for the next eight, nine months. That's when you came in, which I don't think you knew any of this stuff. I don't think you knew anything that was going on. I didn't know. And, no, I didn't know any. I didn't know anything besides you and the relationship that you had with Matthew at that point. Which, who by the way, was always, always has been somebody that I've stayed in contact not once a month, but certainly was one of the guys who also, like you, was willing to take me under his wing and show me the ropes a little bit. Whereas. He was on air in the afternoons with Mikey and Chris at that point, and it was no offense to Matthew, but a fucking snooze fest. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that was that was their on air drive time show. But the thing that you were building and all the momentum that was at the station at that point was because of what you were doing. To an extent, I agree. So during that time frame, when you were interning for me and Lindsay and Kyle and stuff, like I was developing a product that I could take somewhere else if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And I was also developing a product that if I left, it could continue. And so Josh knew what was going on, even though I was asked to fire Josh and I told him to shove it, not going to happen. We power through for the next year. We get to December. Things are going well. I'm in a better position than what I was five months ago when I had that conversation, but I'm still jaded. I'm still yeah. like, I don't know how long this is going to last. So I got to a point where I'm like, I'm not making a commission, whatever. And I was like, you know what? Why don't we do a three-year deal? Guaranteed money. I'll go out and sell. I'll bring in whatever it is that we bring in because I've developed that relationship with clients. I'll do that. But you give me a set price. It was going to be a pay bump for what I was making, but it was guaranteed money. I wouldn't be paying myself any extra, mm-hmm. but and after three years, we'd reevaluate. And I pitched that in, not in December, I ended up pitching that later. What ended up happening though, why I made the decision to do this was because I went to a sales meeting, the very first sales meeting 
of the year in January. And my boss, Don, took Matthew and I, and he absolutely ringed us because we weren't selling the other five stations. I was selling ESPN, and I was selling the hip-hop station, 107 on the beat. And mm-hmm. I was doing really well on those two. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't good enough. Oh, you're not selling the classic country station. You're not selling this. You're not selling that. And like just reamed us for like 45 minutes. And I just got pissed, pissed and pissed and pissed. And the week before this happened, after I got done doing my weekend show, West Virginia was coming to play NKU. And I was like, I want to go watch Bob Huggins. So I drove up and I watched the game. Well, I'm sitting up top. Whenever I go to a game as a fan, I like to sit up top. So I could see a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I see this guy walking around with like a camera taking pictures and videos and stuff. And I walked up to him asking who he was. It was Mike Anderson. And Mike was a part of the media relations team at Northern Kentucky. And Mike and I got talking. I was like, hey, you know, what do I got to do to get in this business? And we were just conversating, whatever. And Mike was really cool. He answered my question. I was like, hey, can I, can I drop you an email? Can I come back and talk to you one day? And like, maybe if he has the internship or something, like I can look into it. He's like, yeah, sure. Contact me, you know, email me, blah, 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 blah. And that was it. So I had that conversation in the back of my head. I went into that sales meeting. All that shit happened. I got out of that meeting. I was mad. I left the meeting that day and I drove up to Northern, which is about an hour and a half drive. Mike and I've been emailing Mike for two weeks, never got back to me. I found Mike's office. I walked in, sat down, and he looked at me and goes, Why are you here? I said, I want to intern for you. I want to work here. I want to learn about this business. What can we do? And he looked at me and goes, You're kind of crazy, aren't you? I said, Yeah, a little bit. I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little, little crazy. And he was like, well, let me talk to my boss. And he went and talked to his boss, uh, Brian Meckledowney. And he was like, I got this guy. He wants to, he just wants to volunteer. And I, I don't know what he wants to do, but just wants to volunteer. And they got, they, they found a spot for me. So I knew that this was starting to happen. And I didn't know what it was going to lead to. But after having that conversation, I came up with that, that whole thing about the contract and whatnot. And I said, three-year deal. Here's my price. Let's see what turns into, I make no commission. You give me a goal. I will hit the goal. I will do that. All the money goes back towards the corporation, everything else. And we move on. Mm-hmm. And the GM was like, I like the idea. Let's talk to the owner. Lynn heard my pitch and he laughed at me. And he was like, we're not going to do that. We've never done that before for anybody. We're not going to do it for you. And I was like, well, it's January. My last scheduled game is March 10th, the 11th region championship game. If we get that point, we have reached agreement, I'm walking. He's like, what are you talking about you walking? Are you going to quit? I'm like, yeah, I'll leave. He's like, Eric, what are you going to do? Like, you have a non-compete, you know, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to get out of the business. I'm going to go into media relations. At that point, as we're having these conversations throughout the month of February, I was, I was volunteering at Northern Kentucky, which led to a volunteering and doing stuff at Wright State. I was doing stuff at University of Cincinnati. I already started developing these, this network and these connections inside the college community in Northern Kentucky and Southern Ohio. And when I told him what I was going to do, he laughed at me again. 
He's like, you're not going to do that. If you left, you'd be back in two weeks. We're not doing that. So, okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, if you want to keep talking about it, we can keep talking about it, but March 10th is my last day. And we never got to an agreement. On March 10th, I did my last game, and I was technically employed to March 13th. March 13th was my last day. It was a Friday the 13th. I left that day. I adopted a dog, and I left. I was done. <laughs> and from that point on, yeah, I was volunteering and interning at those three schools. Plus, I went back to Eastern Kentucky. And I was volunteering and interning there. And I did that through the basketball season and into uh, the end of May when baseball and softball season ended. Mm-hmm. And I was doing that. I was working, developing, figuring it out. I was in all four different schools. I was doing every job I could think of. I was doing PA. I was doing scoring. I was doing facility stuff. I was learning, just figuring it out. All that money I saved, I was going through that. I moved out of the, the house I was living in with my two buddies. I was living out of my trailblazer. And this is no stuff shit. that you that, yeah, I was living in my trailblazer for the next three months. I would go up on a Thursday, work a Thursday game. I would stay in my trailblazer at a hotel parking lot Thursday night. I would work a Friday game or sometimes doubleheader. I work a doubleheader on Saturday and then I work again on Sunday. And then I'll, those nights I was sleeping in my trailblazer, showering at gas stations and eating gas station food, $2 hot dogs or whatnot. And we get to Sunday night, I would drive back and I would stay at my parents' house and I'd do it again the following Thursday. And I did that for three going on four months. Wow. Wow. That is insane. And that is a hustle that not a lot of people know. I mean, that is some real life pursuit of happiness shit right there. And I mean, just the drive of an entrepreneur when you don't have any options and your back is against the wall, but you know, you got a hell of a lot of work ethic in you and a lot of fight in you. And man, what a time to just put the helmet on and stay in those trenches, man. What, 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 what kept you grounded in that? And what kept you in those trenches? When I got laughed at by Lynn, that pissed me off. And I was like, I'm going to prove a point. So that was motivation. Another part of it too, it was, it's kind of fun, to be honest with you. I, I mean, it kind of sucked living in my trailblazer, but I mean that you know that part of it. But it was fun to do. Like, I, like I, I've always liked learning, so like that element of it was that that was a benefit. So I was I was motivated because I was ticked, but I was enjoying it because I was doing something that no one ordinarily gets to do. And I was right. at four different schools, all Division One schools, and it was having a pretty good time doing it. And, you know, I mean, the, 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 the financial part of it wasn't good. And my parents like hated the idea of me doing it, but they understood why. Cause I mean, I was, I wasn't having medical problems at that point, but like, you could tell, like I was stressing, like working at the radio station, doing that stuff. Like it was really getting to me mm-hmm. and I just, I wasn't being myself. So when I started doing that, I was more of myself. I was on my own, doing my own thing. I was having fun. I was learning a lot and was just kind of like just enjoying the moment and just rolling with it. But th- thankfully, a few months after it ended in uh, late May, early June, it ended up working out a, a month and a half later. And then I ended up going back to school and I doing those internships and volunteer work ended up landing me a gig as a graduate assistant at Moorhead State. 
and when that kind of happened, I was like, okay, that was worth it. And that's when doors really started to open. So did you go back for an MBA or what did you go back to school for? I went back for an MBA. Um, yeah, it, yeah I, I did that. I, I was at Moorhead for a year and that year did so much for me. And like going through all that, it, 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 I'm telling you, man, it made all the difference in the world. Wow. That is such an inspiring story. I mean, honestly, like not blowing smoke at all, but just to anybody that is out there trying to hustle, trying to grind to hear a story about what it takes, like what it actually looks like. Like everybody wants to talk about side hustles nowadays and everybody wants to talk about being in the trenches, but dude, you're sleeping in the back of a trailblazer. Not only that, you're leaving and walking away from like a salary and you're going to become an intern, which is like, you could argue, right? Some people, small-minded people may argue that is working in the opposite way, but you have this vision that it's going to bring you closer to where you're trying to go. So you're moving in that direction. You get the MBA you wrap up at Moorhead State. What's next? So this is where it, <laughs> it's funny <laughs> talking about this stuff because like, I'm like, how the hell I pull all this shit off? <laughs> um, really. <laughs> so, I'm at Moorhead for a year and the, the program is a two year program. I'm there for a year. And I'm wait, 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 before we get too deep, I just want to come back to this though. When you left, when you left and walked from LM, what did that feel like that day? And did you ever, I mean, did anybody ever reach out to you? And what was the fallout from that? So two things on that. Yes, people did reach out. People checked because I have good relationships right. and with people there. Right. So like they would constantly check on me and whatnot. And I would come back. I would come see people, you know, and I would check in and whatnot. But I have not had a conversation with Lynn ever since then. But what I've done is at every place I've been since then, whenever I get a business card, I mail it to him. <laughs> the level of pettiness is, as an Italian man, I, I can only appreciate that with all of my heart. <laughs> it is what it is, man. Like, it's just like, like, <laughs> but... I, I fucking point, love that. I love from that. that. From that point on, I never sent a letter. I never sent a message. I just sent a business card to him. Every time. I've Every job I've had since then in college athletics, I sent him a business card. To let him know I'm still on the radar. And it's you know what? It's funny because especially working in sports broadcasting and in media relations Unless you're moving across the country, which we will get to here in a minute, but ah. unless <laughs> unless you're planning on just moving to Hawaii, most of the time you're probably going to cross paths with some of these people that you've either worked for or worked with. And it's funny because it's such a, you think it's such a big industry, but it is so small and incestuous and people never, ever forget the way that you made them feel. And it's just funny... <laughs> I'm going to maybe have to, uh, I feel like if I'm letting you know now that I'm stealing that move, that's okay, but I might right plagiarize ahead. that one. Yeah. Right ahead. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not a petty dude. Like I, I, I forgive and forget pretty easily, 
But if you like, if you act like you're superior, because I don't think I'm superior to anybody. At least I try very hard not to. Like if you do it to me, I don't forget that. Like that rubs me the wrong way. And so that's yeah. why I did it. Now, so what happened? So at, so to continue the story, yeah. I get to Moorhead. I'm there for a year. I learn a lot. Jesus, I learned a lot. I had two great teachers in Nick Evans and Matt Shabert. Love those guys to death. And I was around a group of people that were younger than me. And but we had a really good group because I don't know if you've been to Moorhead or not. If you're listening to this, if you've been to Moorhead, whew, not a lot there, not a whole lot to do. My aunt was a professor there for a minute, so we visited her. And uh, Nick Evans is that straight pinky? Yes, okay. straight pinky. Yeah, yes. nice. Okay. So Nick was my boss, and I knew Nick from my radio days because uh, he was at Louisville and I was at Lexington. And when you came Louisville Plage, we had a whole thing going. Like, but him and I had a friendship before that. So I worked for him there and whatnot, and I was a GA. And I was around a really good group of people. There's like eight or nine of us that were in the trenches. And that's all we did was we, we you know, lived and breathed the business. We were there to learn. We knew none of us were going to be there very long. And we just enjoyed the moment. And at that point in time in my life, I was still running around, having a good time, whatnot, just kind of like, Kind of what I've been talking about. I just do what I do and whatnot. I don't. I don't think of the consequences or whatnot. And I move mm-hmm. on, you know. And I met. A, I met a, a young lady there that helped change my mind, helped me for the better, and my mindset and everything started to like get better in terms of like taking care of myself and doing different things and being more of a, an adult and not being a petty dickhead and like <laughs> getting better and. That year did a lot for me. And when I was there, two things happened. The first thing that happened was I was working for another group called Scores Table, where I was going to different universities across Kentucky, and I was doing, I was doing scorekeeping. Mm-hmm. And one of the schools that called on us was Kentucky State. And I went there, and I, the very first game I was there, we had a hell of a time. It was really fun to see, really cool atmosphere and whatnot. I got talking to the athletic director. Name was um, Dr. Head, William Head, Dr. William Head. And Dr. Head, like, took a liking to me. And I came back a second time, and he said, what are you doing, like, for a full-time job? I said, oh, I'm a, I'm a grad assistant at Moorhead. He was like, would you want to come here and work for me? And I looked at him, I said, nope, I'm good. <laughs> and he was like, why? And I said, well, no offense, but Kentucky State's had a lot of financial issues. I'm all about taking a risk here and there, but it does seem like a very good risk to take. He goes, I, I understand and I admire that, but I don't think that's really necessarily true, but let's keep talking. Like, okay, whatever. And what about my business? Well, in my second semester at Moorhead, we had an assignment in one of my classes where you're supposed to reach out to someone in the industry that you have an interest in and just interview them. I was always a huge Hawaii guy. And I was like, why not? So I pestered Derek Inochi for like a month through email. Just want to interview you. It's for class. I want to talk to you about the business. So you know, Ben, what we're getting into, if you didn't believe the shit before, this is where it gets really funny. <laughs> I eventually get Derek on the phone. I'm still at Moorhead. 
I get him on the phone. We're talking. We talked like an hour. And he is very gracious this time. Like, it took him a while to get him on the phone. But once he did, he was very gracious. And we talked. And I'm looking at the website. And there's only two people on staff in his department. And I ask him, how are you all operating with only two people? It's like, oh, we're in the middle of the way. We've lost a couple of people lately. Like, da, 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 da. I'm like, huh, okay. We get talking a little bit more. And I asked him just out of just, this is outside the interview. I asked him, if I ever got to Hawaii, if I ever got to like come there in person, would you want to sit down and talk? He's like, sure. Be happy to. I think it'd be great to meet you. All right, cool. I made it up on the fly. I said, I'll see you in six weeks. He's like, what? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm coming out there in six weeks. I'm flying out there. I want to see the island. I've never been there before. I'll be there in six weeks. He was like, really? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I, if, when I come out there, can we sit down and talk? He's like, sure. If you get out here, let's talk. I made it all up. I got off the phone with him. I called my buddy Patrick up. And I said, hey, we need to go to Hawaii. We're going to book tickets today. Look for an Airbnb. Let's make this happen. We had tickets booked that night for six weeks later in May to fly out to Hawaii for just for me to meet him. Oh, my God. I get on the plane. I'm like, how the fuck is this happening? <laughs> I get out there. Second day I'm there, I go and meet with him. We meet for a couple hours. We talk, and he's still like, I can't believe you're fucking sitting here. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 no, 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 no. And I, I stayed for 10 days. I like, I wanted to, I, I'm going, I don't know if I'm ever going to get back here, but I'm going to try. And during the conversation, he offered me an internship, but he said, I don't want you to take it. I said, then why are you offering it to me? He goes, I want you to know that you're doing it right. You're working your butt off. You're doing it right. I appreciate that, but do not take it seriously, but stay in contact with me. He was the first person that said, stay in contact with me rather than me asking him. Mm. And I was like, all right, I can do that. So I flew back. I was going to work another semester, another year at Moorhead, but Kentucky State called me again and said, hey, we want you to interview. I told Nick, my boss at Moorhead, like, hey, do you think it's going to go? Yeah, go interview. You're probably not going to take it, but do it. Just get the experience. All right, I can do that. I interviewed at Kentucky State. And I still, to this day, I have a theory on why they like me. I don't know why, but they did. And Coach Head calls me like a week later. He didn't offer me the job. He told me the job is mine. And I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> so he calls me and tells me that. And I'm like, uh, uh, what do I, uh, uh, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I, I went in. He's like, I'm going to offer you this salary. I'm going to pay to get the rest of your school taken care of at Moorhead. We can do that. And I was like, all right, fine then. Cool. That's Great. what we're doing. Yeah. So they hired me at Kentucky State. I'm still in school at Moorhead. I'm not GA anymore. I'm now the director of a D2 program. Like, how, the, how did that fucking happen? <laughs> <laughs> and I start... A week in, a week into me starting, they fired Coach Head. The AD that hired me, they fired him. Gone. Bye-bye. I'm on my own now. I'm like, what the fuck do I do? 
<laughs> I've always been. A, I've been. A, I've Did been I just become the boss? Like, <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been a GA for a year. I interned for four months before that. I have maybe a year and a half experience, and I'm now the director of a D two program of sports information. And I don't have a boss now. Like, what the fuck happened? They end up hiring this other guy that was already there that was the head of intramurals. Long story there. But I was at Kentucky State for a year and a half. I, you know, mm-hmm. again, if you, uh, people can't, they can't see us, but they're listening to this. I, I am a large bearded white dude. <laughs> and you call me OG, which I appreciate. But Absolutely. still, I'm, I'm walking into an HBCU school. And the connection I have no longer exists. And for the next year and a half, I'm just figuring it out. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing is right. I'm just figuring it out as I go. And the entire time I'm there, I'm emailing Derek. Hey, I, when I got the job, I told him, like, hey, I'm now the director of D2. And <laughs> He was helping me. Like he would like, I would bounce ideas off of him. I talked to him, whatnot. And we, you know, he was helping me. Well, the year and a half I was there, there was a lot of good points, but the bad outweighed the good. It was a very, 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 very tough job. And I was getting burned out really quickly because the AD that they hired that I was working for had no experience. He was in his late 60s. He had no business being in that position. And it was a disaster. And the department was pretty much ran by four people that wasn't him. Myself, the assistant AD, and our two compliance directors. That was it. We were mm-hmm. running the show. And I remember I hired Nick to come in and work for me for like a game during like the holidays. But I didn't have any student interns or whatnot. And I remember Nick pulled me aside when it was all said and done. He goes, you got to get out of here, man. You're going to, it's like Obama. You got to get out of here. Yeah. And I was like, I know, I know. We'll just see what happens. And I was applying. I was trying different things to get out and just nothing was happening. And the, the AD got suspended for basically abuse, like internal abuse with employees and whatnot. He got suspended, but they didn't fire him and he didn't resign. So they brought him back. And when they brought him back, the same thing that happened when I got, when Lynn told me, here's your alternative, here are your options. That same mindset kicked in when they brought him back. I can't work for this guy anymore. Yeah. And that was, um, that was Thanksgiving. And this guy was just uh, being verbally abusive with people or he had yeah. actually put his hands on people. No, he didn't put his hands, but he was, he just, he was so inexperienced his his reaction was always negative and verbal and put down and all that. I mean, like every day was a fight. Every day. It was a hostile work environment. It was not enjoyable. Yeah. You know, I love a lot of people there and it was a good experience in a lot of different ways, but it was in terms of like like the business, it was hell. It was bad. That happened around Thanksgiving. They tell us they're bringing him back, and I'm like, I'm done. Um, no, I'll get us through the rest of the year, but I'm done. I cannot work here anymore. Not with him. By the grace of God or a higher power, three weeks later, I get an email from Derek. 
said, I got a job opening. I know you're a D2. I know you're a director, but I got a job opening. It's a casual hire position. There's no insurance. There's no guarantees. There's no overtime. It's 40 hours a week. It's entry level. If you're interested, let me know. I emailed him back in 20 minutes. When can we talk? We got on the phone and it was a two week process of everything. And I would talk to him. I talked to his other employees and everything else. And that, that, that first initial conversation happened on December 19th of 2017 going to 2018. And within two weeks, I got hired and I was picking up my life and moving to Hawaii. Damn. Damn. (laughs) What a story, man. I mean, oh my God. What do you crazy shit, man? What goes through your mind when you're like, all right, I'm moving to an island. How do I get my shit there? What's the first thing that you do when you start looking for places to live? Did they offer you any relocation assistance? Or was it basically just you got the job as long as you can get here? It was that. So when everything kind of happened, I remember the, on that December 19th, when, when I got the first email from him, it was Christmas time. So I was at my parents' house and I was on break from KSU because Division Two takes two weeks off during Christmas. And I was at my parents' house and I got the email. And like, I'm in shock. I'm like, holy shit, this is real. This could be happening. I remember I walked from the living room of my parents' house. I walked in the kitchen where, where my mom was. And my mom looked at me. I was in the room maybe five seconds. She looked at me and goes, what's wrong with you? And I was like, what are you talking about? So I can just see on your face. There's something wrong. Like something just happened. What just happened? It's like, uh, I may have a job opportunity. I hadn't said a word. She goes, it's Hawaii, isn't it? <laughs> and I was like, how did you know that? She goes, I could. She's like, I just knew it. God loved my mom. My mom passed away a year ago. Uh, lost a battle of cancer. I'm sorry. I appreciate that. But my mom, like I said at the very beginning of our conversation, my parents were always supportive. My mom did not understand a lot of the things that I did and how I went about my business, whether it be professional, whether it be career with, you know, and then women and everything. She There's a lot of things I did she never understood. Mm-hmm. But how it always would happen was my mom would say something, would make me think about it, and then like a couple months later, I probably end up doing what, what my mom said because I could see it then. At the time, like, nah, whatever. She never discouraged me about going after Hawaii. And when that conversation happened and when she could see it on my face, she was like, if you get it, are you going to take, are you really going to consider this? And I said, I said, yeah, I think I really will. Because when the IMG thing happened and I failed, I remember her and I had the conversation and she said to me, she asked me the question, like, do you think you'll do that again? As in move away, like move Mm -hmm. for a job or that far away. And I said, I got one more left in me. And she's like, okay, if you got one more and it it happens, then then do it. Well, that's what this was. And she reminded me of that conversation. She said, you said you got one more in you. If you're going to do it, do it now. All right. I was 29, but I turned 30 when this was happening. She supported the decision. And when I was at Kentucky State, I had a retirement thing. So when I was leaving, I cashed out my retirement 
And I use that to rent a place in Hawaii. And I'm talking to Derek and I'm talking to a few other people trying to figure out living situation. So mind you, I'm 29 going on 30. I was living in a house. I was doing all these different things. I was doing really well and progressing. And like I did when I left LM, I was like, I got to take four steps back to eventually take six steps forward. Mm -hmm. So when I moved to Hawaii, I moved into student housing pretty much. There was an apartment building that was right next to campus. And I moved to Hawaii with two suitcases. I have my clothes, my PlayStation 4, an Amazon Fire Stick, and that was it. And I found this place was came furnished. It wasn't much of furniture, but it had something. It had a bed and had a, a chair. Better than a trailblazer, right? Better, better than a trailblazer. Like, all right, we're good. <laughs> and I moved to this place, and I'm living in this apartment. It's dorm style. I rented a room, and I lived in that apartment. I lived with two guys from Estonia and two guys from Japan. They didn't speak a lick of English. And I lived there for eight months, just making it happen. I lived right next to campus. The first year and a half I lived here, I walked everywhere. I didn't have a car. And I just made it work. And eventually, you know, things started to kind of happen. I went from the casual hire position. I eventually got made full time where I started getting medical again. And I was getting a salary again. And it, it worked itself out, but it yeah. took a while. Yeah. Um, but to answer your original question about coming out here, there was a friend of mine named Trip Rogers. Trip was the assistant soccer coach at Moorhead, who when I was on the road with Moorhead, I roomed with him. And him and I became really good friends, still are. And I remember calling him at the airport. And dude, I don't get scared. I just don't. I get I get nervous every once in a while, but I don't get scared. Hmm. And I called him up and I said, because I, I my buddy Daniel dropped me off at the airport because I didn't want my dad taking me because I, did, I just didn't want that element of it. And I remember talking to Daniel and I remember talking to Trip. And I admitted, like, I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. They're like, you should be. If you're not, then what's life worth living if you're not a little scared every once in a while? You take opportunities, you take risks, you got to do it. Like, you've been through a lot. You'll figure it out. It'll work itself out. And just hearing that from someone else made me think about it better. Because, mm -hmm. like, you tell yourself – you tell yourself, you tell yourself everything's going to be okay. But like, until you hear from somebody else, sometimes you don't, it doesn't really set in. But when I heard from Daniel and I heard from Trip, I was like, all right, it'll be fine. So once I got to the airport and I'm talking to Trip, I felt better. And I got on the plane and that's all she wrote. And I flew out here. I was cool. I had a car that I rented. I went from the airport, went to my apartment. I went to work the next day and I was off and running. I was like, I'll figure it out. And I mean, I, at first I was scared, but once I had those conversations, I was okay. Well, because on one hand, you are certainly somebody that doesn't lack the confidence. And like you said, it's one thing to tell yourself these things and to be just sometimes irrationally confident, but have that to be your best skill. But to get out there, you've got to be thinking in the back of your mind, hey, I've done this once. 
and it didn't work out, like what if this doesn't work out? And it's not like you can pack up your car and drive back from North Carolina to Kentucky. This is an island. This is in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. There's a lot more barriers that you're dealing with, cultural and just the fact that you're on an island. It's just it's just different. It's 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 going to be much harder. And so I could understand how that may be in the back of your mind. Not something that you spend a lot of time with it, but just I think that's a human emotion to feel like I don't feel failure, but I'm making a huge move here and I don't know how it's going to end. Well, what ended up happening was as much as that year I spent at Winston-Salem, North Carolina and IMG, as much of that year sucked, I developed a lot of confidence from that. I already had it, but I mentioned that earlier when Charlie called me, I was driving to Kentucky, but I had to come back because I left stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, when I was driving back and the night before I met Charlie, I'm sitting at my buddy Kalen's house and he had just gone through something similar where he had kind of felt he was, he was trying to become a cop. One thing led to another and the, the apartment he was trying to get in didn't work out. I remember him, him and I sitting in our mid twenties on his parents' couch, his parents' house. And I looked over at him and I said, Hey man, you know how uh, you and I've always talked about like failure is never an option. Because Kale's my best friend since we were seven, eight years old. And I'm like, you know how we always had a conversation? He was like, he's like, yeah, what about it? And I was like, well, we're both going through it right now. It sucks, but it's not that bad. I'm like, we'll be all right. He was like, yeah, you're right. It really ain't that bad. I mean, it'll be all right. It'll work itself out. When that whole thing happened, that developed a confidence in me. The fact that I went through it, bounced back, built something pretty cool at ESPN and was successful. That put something in me that wasn't there before that I have no fear of failure anymore because I feel like no matter my situation, I can overcome it and be on the other side of it in some positive way. It may not be what I have planned, Mm-hmm. But I have the confidence and the skill set to learn, adapt, and get better to where that failure won't last very long. And I'll be able to come out of it. And honestly, right now, living here and going through that situation four years ago and living here right now in the moment, they could fire me tomorrow. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'll shake your hand. I'll figure it out. And is that... Is that, is that appropriate or is that realistic? Probably not, but it's, it's kind of what I have programmed myself to do. Like I could get up and move to Australia tomorrow and I feel pretty good. I'll figure it out. I get to move to Montana tomorrow and I can figure it out. It don't matter what I'm doing. I feel like I can figure it out because I've already done it three fucking times. <laughs> and when you do it and you move to Hawaii and you got nothing, like that tells you right there, you can figure it the fuck out pretty, you know, not easily, but pretty effectively. Right. And people can do that. People can overcome and do that. It just, I think what ends up happening is people get so down on it and they think they can't get out of it. But where I've been through it three times, I'm like, yo, that's just in that one moment of time. 
That's just part of my movie. Take a quote from Matthew. It's a part of my movie. It just is yeah. what it is. Yeah. And so like when COVID happened out here, there was a legit fear. I was going to get let go. Like really? we were going to start, we we're going to start cutting budget. And I was like, low down the totem pole. And I told my boss, I said, if they cut me, I will be okay. I do not want to live here. I, do, I don't want to not work here. I want to stay here. But if it does, don't worry about it. I'll be all right. Because I've gone through the other stuff, I'm like, it'll work itself out. And it will till it won't. And as far as I'm concerned, it's going to keep working out because I'm going to make it work out. It's inspiring to hear this story, honestly. If I filled you in on just where I'm at, maybe that's that's definitely a separate conversation. But just this has been so great to sit here on the other end of this shit and just have you speak right into my soul. I mean, seriously, this is just because there's our stories are certainly different, but there's just so much of myself that I see in you. And there's so many qualities and traits and approaches that you've taken that I've either emulated either knowingly like, Hey, Eric did this. I watched this guy do all this stuff or unknowingly just as a coincidence walking in somewhere and being like, Hey, I'm here and what can we do? And going through a lot of the same things and struggles, not, not the same struggles, but generally speaking, working in local media, especially local radio, you're probably going to have some of the same headaches and you're dealing with a lot of bosses sometimes that are, oh man, it's just, uh, it can be so frustrating to to get those ultimatums. And it's like the guy owns the company, he owns the station. Like, what am I going to do? You know, I, I can go fuck myself, I guess. But just picking yourself up and beginning again and just to be that resolute, to be that confident in yourself and just to have that self-determination that you don't need much, you have yourself, you're going to be fine, you're going to figure it out. Like no matter where you have to go or what you have to do, it'll be okay, you will be okay. I want to ask you, what do you think has led you to build that confidence? And where do you attribute that self-determination? Because that's something that, sure, you could say you're inherently born with that, but it's also shaped over time. And it also is emboldened by a lot of these cycles and these seasons of your life that you go through. So what do you think has contributed to that? I don't know. I really don't. I think it's a lot of factors. I think when I left for college, I been 16 years ago, I remember saying, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And... I pretty much that mindset was I've got to develop something on my own. Doug's going to be handed to me. So when I left to go to school, I was like, here's my chance is I'm starting anew. And people get so afraid of starting anew. Even then, 18 years old, it didn't bother me because I was excited about other things. And I wasn't, I wasn't scared of the unknown. I've never been scared of that. So I have a hard time answering that question because I would like to say it's like, I got this from my dad or I got this from my mom or this or that. And there are elements to it. I got my work ethic from my mom. That's where that got developed that. But like the risk taking didn't come from her. But I remember my mom worked a job she hated to make a better life for me. And she made good money. 
And my dad worked jobs on and off. And I saw that when I was a kid. So I always had in the back of my head, whatever it is I'm going to do, I'm going to enjoy what I do because I know my parents didn't. And they sacrificed and they worked their asses off to make sure I had an opportunity. So I guess in a way, the mindset has always been, I've been given the opportunity and there's other opportunities I have to create. But because of them, I was able to be able to build and be able to do better. And I, I don't want them to ever feel like I didn't take advantage of every opportunity they try to do for me. So mm-hmm. there's a part of that where I'm like, if I don't go after things, I'm failing them. And, and again, I'm not afraid of failure, but at the same time, it's like, why wouldn't I? I can, so why, why not try? And if it doesn't work out, you figure something along the way. If you're not winning, you're learning. So I guess that has a lot to do with it uh, on that mindset of I always wanted to be something. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, Ben. I take a lot of pride in the fact that I'm from a, like, a town in Kentucky that doesn't have any connection whatsoever to the state of Hawaii. And people always thought, like, oh, how cool it was that somebody had an aunt that lived in Florida or whatever else. And I take a lot of pride in going, well, you know what? I work my butt off and I live and I enjoy life in Hawaii. Like yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty killer. And I don't know. I, I, I want to be here as long as I can be, but if I have an opportunity to go somewhere else or do something else and, and take me somewhere else, I know in the back of my head, I was able to accomplish something from a place I grew up that not many people could say that they did. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing in a way to have that as a little bit of motivation in there, but it's something I I take a lot of pride in that I was able to pull a lot of those things off and I got into a certain point. Now it by far is not the end of it. Like I plan on doing a whole lot more fun shit and doing (laughs) some more cool stuff in my, in my existence. I want to be the guy when he's 94, like talking about all these different things. And like, that's what I want to have. But in order for that to happen, I have to keep adapting, trying and not being afraid of those things. Yeah, I feel like the only way to take it up a notch and top it is going to be to move totally to a new country, to abroad. (laughs) Because, well, and I just, the reason that I wanted to bring you on was because I do think that it is so fucking cool that you have created this path for yourself. You not only had the vision of the life that you were trying to create, but then you put that plan into action. You executed it time and time and again when it could have been so easy to hop off that saddle and get out of those trenches. And you you were never discouraged or at least never discouraged enough to stop where you were. You always kept moving forward. And now you're sitting on your porch in Hawaii with your back to the beach, lighting a stogie and having this conversation now talking about how you did it all. And you're what, like 33? 34. So, I mean, the thought of you being maybe a third of the way done is just, its I think it's inspiring to anybody listening. I think there's so many takeaways that that I hope that 
land for the audience. And I hope that everybody, you know, when you start telling me about these different stories and this is where it gets really interesting and stuff. I mean, I've just been smiling the whole time. Like I hope people are listening with the same amount of excitement because it's just like, it just continues to build upon each other. And I think it really goes to speak to the fact that if you do believe in yourself and you don't let the fear of failure or you don't let outside noise or perceptions affect what you're trying to do, that you can really carve out that life for yourself where you tell somebody and they say, well, how the hell are you going to do that? Or you're going to move to Hawaii or you're going to start this big production with this sports radio program. And, but yet you're like, you know, just watch me. You know, I, I got it. Like I, I have it. I got a five-year plan, you know, like watch how I fucking do this shit. <laughs> <laughs> and like when I, when, I, when I first like was coming out here, I got asked because what was funny was people that were close with me. When I told them I was going to Hawaii, they're like majority of them were like, yeah, that, "That that makes sense." Okay, <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, it got to that point where everybody's like, "Well, I, I'm not really surprised that you are. Go ahead, have fun." And so that like that part of it's pretty cool too. And the uh, the other element of it is. Like I see a lot of people not enjoying the moment, not enjoying things as it comes. Yeah. And I, because as soon as I took the job out here, I got that reaction. And then I got the, the second part of that reaction was how long do you think you'll come back? Mm. And I've always said, I don't know. I'm going to give it five years because the, one of the biggest things is this coming football season, 2022, Hawaii will host Western Kentucky University in football and play to for the first time ever. Wow. <laughs> and I told, my, I told myself when we were both at LM, I said, I have got to be there at that game. I have got to either be at WKU or I have got to be at Hawaii. I have to like that was like in my head that was a goal mm -hmm. that I, I had set out to do. So when I took the job, I knew I was five years away, roughly five years away, from being here to witness that game. And there's a lot of people on this island that probably don't care about that game at all. <laughs> that game, especially after my mom passed away, that game means so much to me to be here for it and to yeah. witness it and be a part of it. When that game takes place, I have no idea what I'm going to do after that. No clue. The thing that's been on my radar has been go back to school and get my doctorate. Mainly because I want people to call me Dr. Eric, just because I think that's funny as fuck. <laughs> uh, but on top of that is... I look at the experience I've had with you, with Lindsay, with Kyle, those years ago. Yeah. And what we did and how everything and all that. And I, I'm I'm I probably made mistake after mistake back then with you, with with both of them. And I probably continue to make some mistakes with, with students I work with now. But I enjoy giving back and helping. And I enjoy that part of it. So I don't know how much longer I have in this business. I don't. I could be in it for another year and I'm like, you know what? We're good. 
I could get another assignment and try something different. I could stick with it for another 15 years. I don't know, man. And none of it scares me. I'm cool with any of it. Mm -hmm. But if I see the opportunity to go back and get my doctorate to where I can become a teacher and help and do that, because I do see a lot of problems with people that were your age when you and I first met. They, They learn and they do stuff the wrong way. And it's until they get an internship and they actually see how the, the world really works when they start figuring it out yeah. because they get this idea because they get told from a professor and majority of the times, a lot of professors don't have a whole lot of experience. Motherfucker. I got that. Yeah. I got the experience down. And so I feel like I could help and do and do more good for others that want to eventually go down that road. And I kind of want to do that. But at the same time, I could meet somebody and they want to relocate or there's a lot of things that could happen in the future. And none of it freaks me out. I'm cool with anything because I've been able to do what I've been able to do through a third of my life. And I'm like, well, why stop having fun now? Right. Like whatever, whatever, whether it's growing in this business and becoming something bigger or it gets out of the business, doing something different or relocating to a different country, or having kids and a family, whatever it is, yo, like, I'm sure, like, parts of it are going to freak me out in the moment, but I'm like, it's okay. It's part of it. It's the fun part of it, I think. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I could definitely see you going to start, I could definitely see you becoming a professor. You get to be on a college campus. I think it would be really cool if, if you got back involved with uh, in Lexington and you ended up joining their journalism program at UK because I think that would be really cool. Because like you said, I mean, at UK, Kentucky and Western Kentucky, really, really special. I mean, top echelon in terms of broadcasting. And I think that UK had a lot of professors that did have experience in major markets and you felt like you were learning from somebody that had actually done it. They weren't just talking or theorizing. You know, there's that old saying, those who can't do, teach. And maybe that's true to some extent, but there's also the other types of teachers that you would be if you did ever lean into that role where you would be so focused on building others up and speaking from a place of, look, I, I've done this shit. I sold $200,000 worth of on-air time at a local radio station, which is just, I still can't ever, can't ever stress what a big deal that is. But just, I think that would be really cool. And, I, I, you know, I, I can't wait to see what's next for you either because... I mean, you're like a big brother to me. So watching you do these things, this honestly makes me feel inspired about where I'm at right now and just kind of reinvigorates me to remind myself of all those times. Like, Because it's so easy when you're a solopreneur or you're hustling with internships and you're shaking these hands and you're showing up unannounced and you're just trying to meet people and make connections and it's what you have to do. You're self-funding trips to Hawaii just to walk in and meet somebody just for a meeting, just for FaceTime. But that's what you have to do. And sometimes it's easy to start to get discouraged or think, is this ever going to turn out? I mean, 
honestly, is this ever going to be what I think it's going to be? And am I cool to bow out and just go and do something else? And am I ready to give up yet? I think that's a big thing. And, and you know, a lot of people don't ever even go down that path chasing what they think is their thing. And then some people do, and at some point, life catches up. They have kids. They they become unhappy or whatever. They just hop off that. But this couldn't come at a better time for me because it kind of reminds me and gives me that irrational sense of confidence again. Like, hey, do I fucking know who I am? Like, do I know how many times I've created an opportunity literally out of thin air, just being myself, showing up, shaking somebody's hand and be like, dude, I'm going to work my fucking ass off for you. If you'll just take this chance with me, I promise I might fuck up, but I'll always own it. And I will give you everything that I've got. It's just, it couldn't come at a better time. And I really appreciate everything that you've done for me. All these conversations that we've had, this being one of them. I mean, certainly it's just, it's so cool to get to connect and it gives me hope and inspiration thinking about the fact that I can't see what these moves are going to be. I don't know where I'm going to land. But to know that somebody else who's walked in a similar path and created their own, not even a similar path, but just what you've done is is similar, but the path has been totally uniquely your own, and I fucking love that. And it's just getting to see where you've landed and hearing that full circle moment and thinking about how hard Big Bro is going to turn up when it's Western and Hawaii kicking off. And just what a feeling that's going to be to stand there in the stands and look around. I mean, I I know that it's never lost on you just how cool that is. But, man, just to pinch yourself and be like, is this shit real? I, I, I just, it's awesome, man. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing this story. Let me end on this note. Even though we've talked about this for the last two hours and the journey and everything else, and there's a lot of details I didn't go a whole lot into. I feel like it just didn't, it didn't add anything to it. There are negatives. It comes with it. Like, I joke all the time. If I don't get my ass chewed by my boss at least once a week, I'm doing something wrong. If <laughs> and It's true. It's 100%. It, ha- it, ha- it happened today. I got my ass chewed out today. Like it just, it comes to the territory. Like, yeah. but, at, but you kind of have to tell yourself it's worth it. Every bit of it is worth it. And what a decision you make today may not affect you today, but it can affect you 10 years from now. Like somebody that you talk to or whatever else or whatever connection or whatever, that stuff happens negative and positive. It don't matter if it's negative or positive. It's okay. It's perfectly okay. There is nothing wrong. If anyone is listening to this that is younger and like is wants to wants to hear this, listen to what I'm about ready to tell you because it's probably the most important thing I said over the last two hours. It is okay to fuck up. There is nothing wrong with fucking up. When you do you learn something and you learn either a not to do that again, or B I can figure out a different way to do that and get what I need to get done. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And I believe so many people have this irrational fear of fucking up and how it's going to 
like screw up their life. No. And I, I am I am dead set on this. Different people from different backgrounds and different cultures have different paths and have different hardships. But if you tell yourself and you do things the right way in a moral and ethical way, you'll be okay. And you can go to bed at night and you'll and you'll wake up the next morning ready to go. No matter how often you get your ass chewed, if you get fired, if she leaves you or he leaves you or whatever it shit happens, it's okay. It's all about how you take it and how you turn it around that can best benefit you. And I am a lead, I am a living, breathing, loud talking individual that believes in that to my core because I've seen it. I have done it. I have made mistakes. I have had some success, but at the same time, the success of it or the failure of it doesn't sway me one way or the other to stop. No matter how successful it is, I don't stop. No matter how bad it sucks, do not stop. Just keep going and enjoy the moment. That's the most important thing that I I hope anybody takes out of this is that. Hey, big bro, go ahead and drop the mic real quick. (laughs) Awesome, man. So awesome. Eric Matthews, thank you so fucking much, man. You're very welcome. All right, guys, that's it. I hope you enjoyed that one. I certainly did. It was a long one, but a deep one and a good one. And I love stories like that because, again, it just from where I'm sitting right now, I need to hear more stories like that. And for somebody who has been so close to me and, and such a good mentor to me, me getting to watch how he's done these things and made these moves, and it's just, A, cool to catch up with somebody, and B, to see a somebody that I see so much of myself in and see it work out for them, that's therapeutic almost. Like, that's cathartic, you know what I mean? I need that. I need that. And I don't know what's next for him, but I know it's going to be pretty fucking awesome because that's my guy right there. And I have as much confidence in him as he does in himself. And I know it's going to work out for that guy. And I hope one day to be sitting on the other end of that conversation with somebody else being like, how the hell did you do it? You know, that's, I think, something that we all aspire to reach that point in our careers. It's like, here's how I did it. It was a whirlwind. But man, oh man, I'm glad I stuck it through. That's kind of where I'm at. That's kind of where I'm at right now. So we are choosing to persist. And I promise you next week, next Wednesday, we're going to have a banger. And and if you're brand new to the show, dude, if you go back and listen to any of these episodes that we've been doing lately, I promise you they are bangers as well. Go and check them out. Incredible stories. Incredible people. Real people. Real stories. Real talk. That's what we do, baby. And that's what we're going to do next Wednesday. So make sure you come back. Please subscribe to the show so you never miss another drop. And if you enjoy it, then please let me know by dropping a quick rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I am back next week. I am Ben Tompkins. That is Real Talk.